Today's scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 21. And that's page 1018 in the Black Cube Bible. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swathing claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, had made known, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at, that, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. What I want you to do is turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Hunter read for us the teaching text there in Luke. We are, that is our teaching text, but I want you to turn in Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. We're going to read that just in, by way of introduction today. And it is Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. And a lot of wonderful things going on tonight. I encourage you if you don't have plans and you can be here you ought to come if you're kind of not in the christmas spirit it would help you uh, be here tonight and uh, go caroling with us a good way to serve and think about others christmas eve next week next sunday night is a great opportunity to um, invite your family some of you will have family get togethers and maybe that you can get your family to come maybe some of your Family members aren't churched. They're not in church. Maybe some don't know the Lord. It'd be a great opportunity for you to bring them. It's a, about a 40-minute uh, service, 45 at the most. And we're in and out. Starts at 5, and you can be on your way to your family gathering. But it would be well worth your time. It would be a sweet, sweet time as we focus on Christ and His incarnation next Sunday night. What's the greatest event that has ever happened in the history of the world? Yeah. Now, we, some of us would say that in the church. If you took secular poll, they would say things like this. I kind of looked this up this week, just kind of doing a little research. 
Some say the Industrial Revolution. Some would say the end of World War II. And if you were uh, fought in that war, you probably that would be one of them. The falling of the Berlin Wall. Some say the, the digital or computer age. Some even say the American Revolution. Among Christians, uh, there are some debates. Some would say the crucifixion. Some would say the resurrection. You can understand why they would say that. But I would say, I would advocate for the event that we celebrate here this Christmas season. And what we'll see in our text today is the incarnation of Jesus being born. Jesus becoming a man. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. Think about Adam and Eve. They rebelled in the garden. But God made a promise, didn't he, after they rebelled that a redeemer would one day come. Genesis 3.15. And that redeemer is portrayed in the Old Testament as a savior of sinners. And all through the Old Testament, God is working to bring these event, this event to, to pass. All the sacrifices, all the rituals of the Jewish worship system was moving steadily towards the moment when the Lamb of God would enter the world, pay the price to save men from their sins. Here in Genesis 22, a broken-hearted father named Abraham walked up the side of a mountain with his son. Unbeknownst to his son, Isaac, Abraham was taking him to the top of the mountain to offer him to the Lord as a burnt offering. On the way up the mountain, the son, Isaac, asked his father about what they were doing. And here's what his father said. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but there is, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham. Oh, trusting Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them went up together. Our text this morning tells us that Abraham's promise and God's promises were fulfilled. They were fulfilled when the once-for-all sacrifice was born in Bethlehem. We're in Luke chapter 2, and we've been looking at the nativity through the eyes of this gospel writer. Luke's a Gentile physician. He's writing to Theophilus. He wants to convince Theophilus that the, the truth of the gospel, the things he has heard, they're true. They're historical events. We saw already in Chapter 1, after 400 years of silence, God speaks to Zechariah and tells him that he and Elizabeth will have a baby and this baby will be the forerunner, the, the herald, to prepare the way for the Savior. And hope is announced. Six months later, Gabriel again delivers God's message to this time to Mary, telling her that even though she's a virgin, she'll have a child and that this child will be the Son of the Most High. He's going to be a descendant of David who will reign 
forever and forever and forever. We see hope confirmed. Mary did conceive by the Holy Spirit and she goes to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, who was barren and she found that she was six months pregnant. And when she entered the house, Mary already conceived and because she entered the house with the baby Jesus in her womb, the baby in Elizabeth's womb left. Hope is proclaimed. Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of my Lord. Luke very quickly tells us of John the Baptist's birth, and then here in chapter 2 he begins telling of the greatest event in history, the Savior being born in Bethlehem. So today we see hope arrives. And if I had to say what's the main point of this text, I would say Luke gives the birth account of Jesus, and while doing so, teaches us that God is providentially orchestrating the events of history to fulfill His purposes. And that is to give Himself glory and to save sinners. And then the response of the shepherds of hearing this news, their response should be our response. They, they obey, they proclaim Christ's birth to all that they saw and they gave praise and glory to God for such a precious gift. So that's the main point. Leading to our first point of, of the message. And that being the providence of God in the birth of His Son. Look at verses 1 through 7. First we'll see the, the census. See the providence of God in bringing about a census. In verses 1 through 3, Luke describes the, the political situation there. The emperor had, had decided to take a census of the entire Roman world, and this emperor was Julius Octavius. Julius Caesar had been murdered in 44 B.C., and in, in his will, he declared that Julius Octavius would be his heir. The Senate had given Julius Octavius the name and title Caesar Augustus in 27 B.C., and Augustus means majestic or highly revered one. Caesar Augustus was the greatest ruler in Rome's history and there was great peace during his reign and he decided he wanted to generate some income and so he had everyone return to their place of ancestry so they could register so taxes could be collected and Luke tells us that Quirinius was the governor of Syria and what's Luke doing here? Well, he's very purposeful. He's giving details that validates what he is writing. This isn't a myth. This is history. This isn't coincidence. This isn't happenstance. We see God putting leaders in place and orchestrating events like a census in order to bring about His will. So we see Caesar Augustus was ruling. But we see God overruling all that takes place and all the details. So we see the census, and in verse 4 through 7, we see the journey. Joseph, what did he do? He took Mary with him to Bethlehem. They went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So he goes to Bethlehem. They go there, and there's no place for them to stay because of the crowd. Everybody's in town to register. And it's interesting. People, you might ask the question. I asked the question, was, was Mary... Did she have to go with Joseph? 
Why would she have to go there? We don't know. We know that the angel of the Lord had told both Mary and Joseph, right? We saw Gabriel telling Mary in Luke's account and in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, we see the Lord revealing to Joseph what was going on with Mary. And we know that Mary knew her Old Testament. We saw that last week in, in her song, the Magnificat. She alludes to so many Old Testament scriptures. And both of them, Mary and Joseph, must have known about Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So this prophecy would have been known to them. So they take this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And notice the timing in verse 6 and 7. Mary, she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Think about if she would have stayed in Nazareth to have the baby. The prophecy would have been fulfilled. See, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem if he's to be the Messiah. So how does a couple get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? 70 miles away? The census. We see God providentially bringing his plan to fruition. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come. God's timing is always impeccable, isn't it? Amen. We see him orchestrating all these events and all the, everything just coming together in perfect timing. Notice the circumstances. Verse 7. The birth takes place in this a stable. So she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Born in a stable, put in a manger, a feeding trough. You think, you know, if the Lord had probably brought them all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the Lord could provide a room for them, don't you think? But this was providential as well. And I've questioned this this week. Why, why, the, why the manger? What's the significance of Jesus being born in a manger? What showed his poverty? I mean, no child was born that day that had a lower prospect in life. The Son of God was born into the world not as a, a prince, but as a pauper. I was talking last night. Charles came to pick his boys up and he began to tell the story uh, about these two old codgers that were talking about how tough it was when they were growing up and how poor they were during the Great Depression. And one of the men said, we were so poor, we didn't have anything to eat, so mom would gather us around the table and she'd read the cookbook to us. And he said, the old man said, one of my younger brothers was kind of hard to hear and said, boy, that boy, he about starved to death. <laughs> You know, Charles, he's at a graduation day. If somebody's real close to him, he's not here. He loves Charles, but he shared that story about that. That man had some tough times. Anyway, Jesus was born into a poor family. But this too was providential. He was born poor. And we think about the great reversal. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. It's God takes the humble and lowly, and what's he do? 
What's he do with the, the humble and the lowly? He exalts them. Right? And the prideful and the self-sufficient, what does he do? He humbles them, right? Daryl Bach in his commentary, he, he's talking about even the birth of Jesus compared to the birth of John the Baptist. And he says this, in contrast to the birth of John the Baptist, it's really remarkable. John's birth was announced in the capital at the temple in the center of the Jewish nation. But Jesus arrives in rural anonymity. John is the child of a priest and his righteous wife. Jesus belongs to the Jews of just average social people. St. Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. When you think about Jesus' poverty, this verse always pops up. And I, I was asking a couple of friends of mine that question about Jesus' poverty. And this, all of them would quote this scripture, right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that, why? So that we might become rich. And we, we can't understand that text. Think about the Calvary Road that began that day for baby Jesus. John Piper, he says, his life began with a no vacancy sign in Bethlehem, but it never got any better for him. I mean, he was a man when he was grown. He says, I don't have a place to lay my head. And, and then his life ends in Calvary, right? where they, the soldiers divide up all he had, right? His clothes, clothing. Jesus entered the world as a poor baby and he lived his life as a commoner so that he might understand a commoner's burdens. You see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. He did that so he might enter into our suffering die in our place and lift us out of our circumstances when we simply call on Him by faith. But through all of these things, these events of Jesus' birth, we see the providence of God. We also see the providential announcement to the, the lowly shepherds. And they're the first ones to know of the birth of Jesus. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping their watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And we know the story. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Think about events that happen in your life. Important events. Maybe the birth of a child. Maybe when you got engaged. Who did you tell? You remember those moments? Or maybe it was a... Um, for you, maybe it was uh, learning that you passed your final exam and you're going to get to graduate. Or maybe it's, you know, uh, maybe it's when you were engaged or maybe when you had your first child or you found out you were pregnant for the first time. Who did you call? Who did you tell? Because we do. We tell people. Don't we? we tell people who are important to us. Maybe our family, maybe our friends, maybe mentors, people that have been pouring into us and, and being good to us. Yeah, the most important people in your life. I got the promotion. My dream job. Who do you tell? You celebrate. You tell people that are important to you. And 
God, who did he deliver this message to? It's, it's not statesmen or powerful business leaders or the wealthy elite. He told shepherds that were in their fields watching their flocks by night. Shepherds. They lived on the, uh, the other side of the tracks. They were just commoners of the lower class and they were kind of looked down upon because they were usually dirty and something like ruffians, rough folk. Look at verse nine, this announcement. It's, it's, it exceeds the previous ones. We've seen an announcement by the angel, right? To Gabriel announced to Zechariah that he would have a child and, and to Mary that she would have a child. But this announcement here, it goes above and beyond, right? Exceeds that of the others because the glory of the Lord was there. And there's fear, of course, because the angel never seen anything like this. I mean, it, it, it lit up. And there's angels speaking. Hadn't had that experience before. And they're fearful and just like the angels did with Zechariah and Mary, they're comforted. But what is the announcement? The announcement is good news. The theme is what? Joy. A baby is born in the town of David in Bethlehem. It's Christ. Christ means what? It's not just a flippant title here. No, this is the title, the one that the world had been waiting for. Jews had been waiting for since Genesis 3.15. This is the Messiah. Luke taught his readers, teaches us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish messianic hopes. He is the one we've been waiting for. And it was a day that was planned in eternity before the creation of the world. This baby is the Christ. He's here at last. That was an amazing message for these shepherds. In a, in a few short chapters, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, as an adult, is in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands up to teach and he teaches the text that Jamie read for us. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus has this, this shares this message in the synagogue. He rolls up the scrub and he sits down with all the eyes upon him, right? And what's he saying there? Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The one the prophet spoke about is here. I'm here. You look at me, you see the Christ, the anointing one. I've come. That was his message. He's the, the living exposition of that text. He's the sermon in himself. The anointing one, the the one whom the Spirit of God rests because He has set me apart, anointed me, and ordained me so that people could be saved. Hope has arrived. Verse 12, a sign was given. 
and this will be a sign for you. You remember the signs, don't you? Zechariah, there was a sign. How do I know this is true? Well, he couldn't talk. He couldn't talk for nine months. Mary had a sign. What was the sign? She would find her barren, older cousin pregnant. Six months pregnant. By then, six months, I don't know, are you doing this yet? You know, it's, you, know you do this, walk around and you're pregnant. Yeah, she's six months pregnant. That was a sign for Mary. What's the sign for the, the shepherds? You're going to find a, a baby wrapped in cloths. Swaddle. Baby wise, anybody know baby wise? Anybody? Young, young mamas in here, you know what baby wise? I was, I was a baby wise. I learned how to swaddle. Carly, she was a, she had a lot of energy. She's kind of type A, you know. She's got a lot of real independent. And she was like that as an infant. But just as a newborn baby, it was just cry, cry, cry. And you, we learned how to swaddle her with those blankets because they come out of the womb and their their arms and legs are just doing this, right? And the cold air hits them and they're not used to that. So you swaddle them, right? All the babies were swaddled. What's the sign for the shepherds? Find a baby wrapped in cloths. They're all wrapped in cloths. There's going to be one lying in a food trough. You'll know. And so what do they do? They, they go and they find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. I'm going to point this out to you. What did, what did the shepherds do? They obeyed. They did what the angel said. You're like, well, of course you would. You got this host of angels. First time I ever heard that or seen that, had that experience, right? They were fearful and then it's, hey, you're going to go and you're going to find this baby. And, and so they go to the stables, right? That's where you'd find the manger and they find a baby that's put in a feed trough. Never seen that before. They were obedient. The shepherds were. They, they obeyed. What did they do in verse 17? Not only did they obey, they proclaimed his birth to all. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They found the child and they went and told everybody about it. Hey, this is what we heard. This is our experience and this is what we found. And you can imagine some people, right? Some people were in, in, like, you know, pretty amazed. That's incredible. But some people, not so much, right? Some people are like, what? Angels? The Messiah in a feeding trough. You can imagine people's questioning their sanity, right? But they go and they find the baby and then they proclaim to all they saw what had happened that day. And then what they do, they gave glory to God. Look at verse 20. And the shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and all they had heard as it had been told to them. And that, that leads us to the, the third point. You see the providential purposes, right, of the arrival of God. Look at verse 13 and 14. Told them about the sign in verse 12 and in verse 13 and 14. The, the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. A couple purposes here. Why is God doing all this? Why did he send the baby Jesus? Well, first of all, we know that it's for his glory. 
That's always a, a right answer. What's the purpose in all this? God's glory. Everything created, everything that happens in this world is for His glory. Romans 11, 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. The host appears and they're singing glory to God. The shepherds go and find all that the angels said they would find and they give glory to God. Yeah, glory to God and praise should be our response to the birth of our Lord. So the first purpose of Christ's birth is that God can be glorified. Second purpose is peace. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. And peace here is, you know, the song, I got a peaceful, easy feeling, you know? I don't think that's what this is talking about. What is it referring to here? Peace is Acts chapter 10, verse 36. Maybe help us a little bit with that. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. The good news of peace. I think peace here is synonymous with salvation. But peace doesn't come to all without exception. And when we think about that, right? We give out Christmas cards. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Oh, Jesus came, glory to God, peace for everybody, peace for everybody. But context here, peace for who? Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has peace in this world? Not the peaceful, easy feeling. And I know you won't let me down. You know, that kind of thing. That's not the peace we're talking about here. This is salvation that comes by faith. Baby Jesus born in a manger. The message, glory to God in the highest. And there's a message of peace. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and he began his ministry. He began preaching a message, the same message we preach today, Jordan, repent and believe. You know what? There's a few people that embraced that message, the, the apostles, a few disciples, they embraced that message and they received peace, that peace with God through Christ and the work He would do on the cross. But so many people disbelieving. Jesus didn't look like the Messiah should look in their eyes. Looked a lot different. He came in there, born to lowly people, put in a manger. He's a carpenter. He's not schooled. He's not educated. And so they reject Christ. And so they have no peace 
Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's peace is, is, is faith, belief. Romans 15, 13, we see that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In what? In believing. Yeah, we, we think about oh, peace on all these people. Jesus came and glory to God in the highest and peace for all people. Peace is for those who believe. Do you have peace with the Father through this Jesus who's born in a manger? Can you say that you have peace with God? You're not at enmity with God. You have a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. He was born in a manger. He lived this earth, perfectly obeying the Father. He, because of that, He was able qualified, worthy to go to the cross where he received the wrath of the Father to make atonement for our sin. As Jesus was buried on the third day, he rose from the grave to prove that he indeed was the Messiah. He ascends into heaven. He says, one day I'm coming back. So he tells his disciples before he ascends, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. But one day I'm coming back to gather my people and who will live with me forever in glory for all eternity. For all that have peace with the Father through the work that I've done for them will have eternity together. Those who don't have peace will be separated from the Father for all eternity. For them there will be no peace. So do you have peace with God today? Just by way of application ask you that question that's I think an important question this Christmas season. You can have a lot of things going for you, but if you have peace with God through Jesus' His Son, you have nothing going for you. That's right. So my admonition for you today is repent and believe. Like, I, Pastor, I don't really know how to do that. Well, you just tell the Lord that you're a sinner and you've been in rebellion against Him your entire life. You deserve His wrath, His punishment. You deserve hell. But because of what Christ has done for you, He lived and He died and He rose on the third day so that you could be forgiven and you ask God to forgive you and thank Him for the sacrifice of His Son who was born in Bethlehem in whom we celebrate this Christmas. That's application number one. Won't you trust the Lord, repent and believe so you can have peace with God and give God glory with your life? Secondly, I think we see God's providential plan come into fruition. I think maybe we need to trust God's sovereign plan for our lives as we seek to please Him. Some of you may be in a situation that you find yourself in you never dreamt you would be in. Maybe it's a, a marriage that's terrible. Maybe a, a spouse has been unfaithful and now you're having to live with that. Maybe you don't have the job that you thought you would have at this point in your life. Not sure what your difficulty is, but I encourage you to trust God's sovereign plan for your life. <coughs> the Lord knows. He's bringing about His will in your life. 
what we do in that situation is we yield to the Lord and seek to obey Him wherever we are, trusting that He's working even our suffering and our sorrow and our difficulty for our good and for His glory. And thirdly, while we have application, we need to emulate these shepherds. What do they do? They, they obey the Lord. They went and made known to all what they had seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? If you have peace with God through Jesus, you have seen and heard much, right? You've experienced the gospel. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. Let's share that with the world this Christmas season. I want you to stand with us. We're going to pray. I want you to praise team to come up and we're going to sing a song written about this, this experience the shepherds had. If you're, um, you got any questions about anything we've talked about, you're not sure you have peace, and you want to have peace, I'd love to talk to you. I'm, I'm the last one to leave every Sunday without very, very few exceptions. I'd love to discuss that with you. You can call me this week. We can eat lunch, get together. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's be faithful to the Lord, and let's be proclaiming the message of Christ and what He's done for us and how God has been gracious to us and given us His Son, Jesus. Okay, Father, let's Lord, pray. Father, we, we're, we're thankful that You give us Your Word and we have these accurate events written down and preserved throughout all these centuries for us. And we're thankful that You sent Christ and He was born in a small town to common people and put in this feeding trough and he was lowly and he lived a, a simple life of obedience to you we're thankful that he was willing to go to the cross and take on the wrath that we deserve we're thankful that he died and was buried but on the third day he rose so that we could be made right with you so we could have peace with you Father and if there's anyone here who's lacking peace pray that you would grant them faith and repentance today pray that you would save lost people today whether they be a child or a student or an adult for your glory and Father, for those of us who are born again who have that peace that results in having our sin debt removed, I pray that you would give us a, a burden for lost people and you would give us an excitement once again, the joy of our salvation that would motivate us to share the gospel of Jesus with those who are lost. And especially this Christmas season, it's just an easier time to share. I pray that you would help us as a church to be faithful in sharing the gospel. That lost people would hear it. And lost people would be saved. People in our workplaces, in our homes, our neighbors, our friends. Father, bless all our efforts. You know, a lot of things we have planned, Father, with Carolyn and I. I pray you just direct our, our steps as the teams go out. That, Lord, we'd be able to share with those and sing for those and pray for those who need it tonight. And Father, we just ask that you would direct our steps to maybe to, to homes and, and people who 
are far from you and don't know your peace. Father, use us tonight and, and all that we have going on for our service next Sunday night. That, Lord, you would bring family members of our church members who are not believers. They would come and they would sing these true songs about you and to you and they would hear the gospel message and or you would do a work even through that service. Bless our efforts and Lord today may we leave rejoicing because we've been together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.